Today we talk about poverty and prosperity. Come on, say poverty, poverty. and prosperity. prosperity. Next week we talk about youth and the next generation. It's really going to be a great conversation next week about what's happening between this generation and the next generation. And for those of you that got teenagers, those of you that are having a hard time with your parents, you're going to love them next week. It's going to be a great opportunity to talk about generational challenges that we all face and, and what's coming up. And this is a great, great, great conversation. But this is a conversation. And the way it's structured is there are people online that have sent in questions. There are people that are in the room who will have some questions. And I will spend the next 10 minutes or so working quickly through four questions that I think you want to ask me. And those are the C questions. After that, you get a chance to ask me any question you want as long as it's about poverty and prosperity. What is it about? Poverty and prosperity. Or money, something like that, okay? It could be a money kind of question. But the goal of it, I'll tell you in a minute, we're going to focus on one thing. Now, here's the ground rule, though. You can't, you can't, you can't say you can't. You cannot give a speech or a sermon or a comment. It's not comment time. The word is question. Everybody say question. question. I have to say this because somebody always gets anointed and, and <laughs> feels the need to advise somebody else in the room about what they just said. I understand, but I want you to talk to me. I don't want you to reach behind you and say, now, nah, you know, that's right. I remind me when I was two. I don't want you to do all that. You know, that's the, please just talk to who? To, what's my name? Pastor Rick, I'm the only one doing Q&A today, okay? Don't put you, don't, don't do that. So help me out. Those are the ground rules. If you heard me, everybody say amen if you heard me. Amen. All right, so if I say something to you, you can't be mad with me, right? Right? All right, all right. Everybody understand. All right, that's the rules. Here we go. Let's crank it out. First of all, I want you to please note with me something that I love, Pinterest. This is my new kind of thing. I love Pinterest. And these are some pictures that kind of drive home a point. Uh, if you notice, I love this because it compares what... We're going to talk about why people are struggling, why there's poverty in the world, and we'll talk about wealth. One of the things I've learned about wealthy people, there are certain habits they have that are interesting to me. And if you notice, wealthy and average people are compared. I'm only interested, and I want you to kind of, you can kind of just follow me along here. Wealthy people read daily. Uh, average people tend to watch TV daily. Wealthy folks set goals. Uh, average people never set goals. Wealthy people are compliment while average people criticize. And it goes on, uh, wealthy people embrace change. Uh, average people tend to fear change. Wealthy people forgive. Uh, average people hold grudges. Wealthy people talk about ideas, while average people talk about people. <laughs> wealthy people continuously learn, while, um, uh, while average people think they know it all. Uh, wealthy people take responsibility, while average people blame others for their failures while wealthy people take responsibility for their failures. I thought that was cool. Next slide. These are just things that came to my mind when I was doing this kind of study. Read this with me, please, out loud. Come on, say, the more you sweat, the more you sweat. In, peace, in peace, the less you bleed, less you bleed. In, war. in war. Sometimes the reason we have challenges with our resources is because we don't, we don't sweat when there's no challenge. That's one of the reasons. Next slide. In order to become the 1%, you must do what the other 99% won't. Say that with me, please. Come on. In order to become the 1%, you must do what the other 99% won't. Next slide, please. I love this. This is the last one. Never look down on someone unless you're helping them what? Uh, now, let me explain why I showed you those slides. When you talk about prosperity, there's a reason why some people prosper. 
Now, there are reasons that are beyond your control sometimes, and we'll deal with that. Sometimes prosperity is not available for you. You live in a culture where there's no money, there's no jobs, there's no opportunity. I get that. But for the people I'm talking about in here, there's a lot that's available to you. And for a lot of people, the reason they have not done better, why they struggle, is because of some of the choices they've made. And if you are honest about that, and if you can look at yourself and say, what part have I played in my life circumstance? Is poverty a part of my life because of things I've done? Am I struggling now because of the choices I've made? And if so, what can I do to turn that around? Maybe I'm, I, I, want, I want to be in the 1%, but I'm doing what the 99% of people do. See, I want, I, that's why I'm committed to learning and trying. Because I, I try to understand the world around me. Did you know that the average income in the world for a person is $18,000 a year? One study said 10000 depending on what you look at, but about 18000 So I want to show you how you line up compared to that. Because uh, some of you said, Pastor, you know, I, I just don't understand why I'm not doing better. And I, I want to know how to do better. And at the end of this, I hope you will leave this and say, okay, at least I understand why some people struggle and why some people do better. I understand what the average person's doing. I understand what some of the people who do better do. And maybe I could pick up some of those habits and maybe change my life outcome. And so at the end of this, you'll get a chance to look at yourself and say, okay, that's interesting. And then you'll ask me a few questions and we'll close it out. Now, please let me show you. This is fascinating for me. The average amount of money that the per a person earns. This is 2016, 2017, U.S. medium earning perspective. Watch this. This is great stuff. Now, this is what the average person earns in income. Um, median income, mean income, and basically those are just measurements of how how you look, how you want to look at the, the money. But if you look at this, it goes from 15 to 24, 15 to 29. It goes all the way up to 75 years. But notice the top line is 60,000. You see that? 60,000? Notice that nobody reaches it. The average person in America will never get the $60,000 in income. The average person. As a matter of fact, go to the next slide. Let me show you what I mean. It breaks it down by age. Now, this is fascinating. I thought this was amazing. A national survey. Nationally, the average American under age 65 is earning $46,000 per year, according to the Census Bureau's current population survey. I, I, I didn't know that. The average person under 65. How does your salary compare below? Check out the medium earnings for Americans at every age bracket. Notice, 16 to 19 years old, the average person earns $422 a week or $21,000 and $944 annually. So I'm just going to round it off. From 20 to 24 years, they earn $525 a week or $27,000 plus annually. If you're 25 to 34, you earn $776. Or, now understand that this is a range now from 25 to 34. In that range, you tend to max out at $40,000. In that range on average. Uh, I thought this was amazing. Uh, 45 to 54. Uh, $975 a week is the average. They get to $50,700, and, and that, is, that is almost, you'll, you'll see in a minute, almost amazing. 55 to 64, the average is $966 a week, or 50000 Notice it's going down now. That's an average. And then if you're 65 and under, of course, I showed you it's 47. Now, look at this, look, look at this and, and let me go to the next slide. Next slide. These are slides that just show 
the average incomes, and I really, I've already said these pretty much, but notice the peak numbers here. If you have 50,000 median earning, earnings, uh, around 50,000 here, 50,752 dollars. Next slide, please. Notice I'm showing you the maximums. Uh, for, these are for men. Ma men max out on average in America $56,888. Next slide, please. These are women. Women max out at $45,604. Next slide, please. Notice that no one reaches $57,000 on average. That's amazing to me. Now, I just want you to see that. Measure yourself however you want to see it. Look at that. The question is, why? Why do some make more and less than others? What is it that creates that? And I, I gave you some of the answers. And so we're going to take a look at this, if you would, please. Let me show you. Um, there are four questions today that I'm going to deal with. Um, and I did not deal with our current event. Ah, well, we prayed earlier for them, the wildfires, and so that's already handled. So um, let, me, um, let me just, if I can, because I did not do that. Can you let me pause this where I'm at? Everybody say pause. pause. I forgot my wildfires. Um, the current event, which is what we do every time, which I just forgot, uh, wildfires, what we're praying for, all the people that are going through all these wildfires every, every, every day, it's amazing. This is an amazing season. Thousands of people, have, uh, structures have been burned, 20,000 residents have been evacuated. It's been amazing. And most of them have lost everything. A lot of people, thousands of people have lost everything. When you look at these incomes, imagine if you lost everything. What would be your uh, I lost everything strategy? Your just, everything is gone strategy. You need to come up with, no matter where your income falls, you need to come up with a plan to respond to a complete destruction event. And I call it a complete destruction strategy. So if you look at these incomes and you look at what the average person makes, we all understand how hard it could be if you lost everything. That's why, while you can, you should think about this. And 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18 says this. It says that, and Paul said this, what, everything that's seen today can be gone tomorrow. Say that with me, please. Come on. Everything that's seen today can be gone tomorrow. If that were you, what's your plan or strategy? And let me give you a couple of things that are not on your notes to think about. I want you, I want you to go home. I want you to look at your insurance. I want you to look at what would happen if you lost everything today? If this church burned down today, we had nothing. We should have in place, and we do, a plan, insurance, a plan for losing everything. If, if everything were gone, when the hurricanes came through, it was a real moment. Everybody say amen. amen. Really mo a real moment. Were you hurricane strong or not? And it's really important to see how powerful it is for these folks to walk up to their home and everything's gone. No church. No, all of it, imagine, it's all gone. I want you to think about that. One of the things I keep hearing people say is, I, should, I lost all my pictures. Why don't you digitize your pictures? Why don't you take, take pictures now of everything you have and digitize it before? You should take a video of your house to make sure you have a video because in case you lose everything, all that's worth money. If you don't know how many shirts you have, how many jackets you have, how many shoes you have, if you don't have any knowledge of it, you can't get that money back, even if you paid insurance. So it's smart for you while you're at peace, right? Remember the guys carrying the log? If, you, if you're working during peacetime, you'll be better when wartime comes. So if you go ahead and do that now, there is no storm. None's coming right now this week. This is the week you ought to do that. And so if you can put those things in place, you protect yourself. And so that's my quick response to that. And again, we pray for all those people that are in 
those war-torn areas. Uh, but let's press back to where, where we are. Let me give you some examples of why I think people struggle. Uh, if you look at beginning question for today, and I want you to look with me and let me show you why some people struggle and why some don't and what the church can do about it. When people struggle, whether it be loss of everything or whatever, the church can't do anything for you but teach you and model for you. And that's my job. I hope what I just did is a teaching and an example of what you need to consider doing in your own life. People struggle sometimes because they, they, they don't have anybody to teach them. Nobody shows them what to do. And so they just kind of exist until the crisis comes. And because they don't have much resource, they, they end up destitute. And that's what you don't want to happen to you. So I want you to lift your hand with me, please. Come on. Say, Lord, in Jesus' name, my ears are open. I'm listening, and I'm going to do something about what I hear in Jesus' name. Some people hear, but they don't take advantage of it. And there are three specific things that I think are main reasons why this is true. Some people, the availability of resources is not there for them. The management of resources is not there in their lives. The knowledge of resources and the hunger for resources. Say those with me, please. Come on, say the availability. The management, the knowledge, the hunger. Now, when a person is struggling with finances, when a person is struggling during a crisis, like the ones we described, four things are probably true. One was there was no availability for that person to prepare. For example, in Haiti, there was no money. There was no prepare. They couldn't do anything. So when the hurricane struck Puerto Rico... They already were in trouble. So if there's no availability, you can't fault the person. But for most of us, that's not true. For most of us, the issue is management. We did not manage our resources well. And so when the crisis came, we weren't prepared. For some people, they don't know. There's a lack of knowledge. They don't know how to manage their resources. And then for some people, there's just no hunger to do better. They like average. They want to live average lives. And so they don't want more. And so when things come, they're unprepared. Some people in the world are struggling because of these four reasons. Say with me, please. Say no availability, no management, no knowledge, and no hunger. If we as a church are not careful, we'll fall victim to these four things. We will end up, if we're not careful, coasting through life, coming to church, not striving for improvement, not hungry for moving forward. And when trouble comes, we'll end up without the ability to help ourselves. I want to know how hungry you are to do better. I want to know how much better you want to be. When you looked at these numbers, let me ask you this question. When you looked at these numbers of salary, what, what were you, how many were surprised? What did you think when you saw these numbers? Too low? Some of them too high? In, in terms of what some people make, you're saying. That's not what some people make, you're saying. Okay, that's what she meant. Yeah, somebody else. What do you think? Talk to me. What do you think? Yes. That's everything. That's, what, that's the check. That's the gross. That's the gross. That ain't just the net. Look, y'all like that net or gross. No, that's, that's what they made. That's the average. What else did you think? Pretty accurate. See, 
the question is, okay, if, if you look at these numbers and you say, for some of you say, I wish I did make 50000 Some of you some people say, man, that, that, is that all? But I want you to see where people are. The question is, why? And how does the church help? So when you look at poverty, right, and you look at prosperity, you're trying to figure out what, what can we do. Well, let me show you some of the reasons why I think church is the worst place to talk about this. The way church thinks. Not, not God, not Jesus, church. Now watch this. Churches normally teach you how to give money. That's all. They don't teach you how to manage your money. They don't teach you, they, they really don't teach you about money they encourage you to give money. That's all we talk about. Sometimes what we do is we definitely don't encourage you to be hungry for more resources. We make that sound like a sin. I want to show you a verse, 1 Timothy chapter 6, under the note there I have. And these are what I call three reasons why I think churches struggle for resources. And they work against the idea of hungering for more. Um, the hunger for wealth is often misunderstood. The passion for wealth building is often misunderstood. And God's vision for our advancement is often misunderstood or underestimated. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 10 talks about the love of money is the root of all evil. For a lot of Christians, that's the stopping point. That means God saying in their mind, don't you ever worry or want anything else. Don't want any money. Just stay on the poverty side and, 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 and maybe pray for prosperous people to come in your life to give you money. But as far as you prospering, that's not something you think about. The love of money is the root of all evil. So be, be just content with what you have and don't ask for anything else. But here's what I think is, 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 is true. Proverbs chapter 13 verse 4 says the, that the soul of the diligent shall be made what? Fat. That's God's dream for you. He promises you that if you are diligent, you'll do well. And well can be defined a lot of ways. It could be 50,000, it could be 40,000. I'm not trying to define the number for you. But I want you to understand that God's not against you doing better. He's not. And I, I think that's an important distinction. God's vision for your advancement is often extremely underestimated. God's able, the Bible said to do, read it with me, please, come on, exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ask or think. Ephesians 3.20, God's vision for your life is far more advanced than your vision for your life. God's not the problem. The problem is our perspective. So here's the question. Shouldn't we be content with what we have? That's the big question, right? Shouldn't I just say, well, Lord, you know, if I'm, if I'm poor, I'm poor, and it's okay, and just be content with what I have. Well, yes, if that's all you want out of life. But no, if you want God to do more in your life. Matthew chapter 9, verse 29 makes a profound statement. Read it out loud with me, please. Come on. According to your faith, so be it unto you. Say it again. Come on. According to your faith, so be it unto you. The numbers I showed you, for some of you, those are poor numbers. For some of you. For some of you, those are great numbers. But... It depends on uh, where you want to go. If you are content, then fine. But go back to the top here. If there are no resources available to you to help you think differently, then you'll always think the way you think. If you don't know 
how to manage your life resources differently. Sometimes you stay poor because you don't know anything. You don't know how. You may have enough money, but you don't know how to manage it. Sometimes you just don't have the knowledge. You get caught in this retirement season of your life, and you had no one told you it was. No one explained it to you. I am amazed at what I have not known. I'm amazed at what I didn't understand. I, I was studying about Social Security yesterday, a couple days ago, and I was stunned at what I didn't know. Stunned at, at man, wow, I'm in the dark. I need to get informed here. I need to make sure I'm clear. And I also realized that part of my problem, sometimes all of our problems is there's just not enough hunger. And the reason I believe there's not enough hunger is because we think that God is somehow against you thinking this way. So you never put your mind in this place and you just kind of say, well, whatever happens will happen and God's faithful. No, no, your health is not determined by God. Let me help you with that. Them burgers and fries, all that stuff, man, which is good. Let me eat nothing like a good Whopper. What? Thank you, Jesus. When I treat myself, I get say cut it in half and take the onions off, man, and I eat that one burger like it's the last one for the next six months. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not against treating yourself. I'm simply saying that there are other factors involved. And one of the big factors in poverty, if the issue is not availability, if you're in a country or a place where it's not available, I get that. But for a lot of people, the issue is you don't have any hunger. You're not trying hard enough to do better. You have accepted where you are. I'm going to do a study in January. And I'm giving away a hint here. But, man, I've been studying Joshua, and I'm amazed. Do you know how old he was when he started? Sixty. In Joshua chapter 1, he's 60 years old when God gave him that command. 60 plus. 40 years in the wilderness. 20 years he made the cut, right? You had to be 20 years and older. Only he and Caleb made the cut at 20. They had to be over 20. So we know he's over 20, and he was 40 years in the wilderness. That's 60 years. He had 60 years to train the army, 60 years to get people ready to go fight. This, in Joshua chapter 1, out the box, 60 plus years old, and God said, go take the land. Amazing. Everybody say hunger. See, there's no hunger. There's, you, you, you got this thing in your mind that's got you paralyzed, and you stay, you'll stay on this side. So the, the question of the day is, why? Why? Why are some over here struggling? Sometimes it's availability. I'm not blaming anybody who doesn't have access. My job is to give them access. I can't blame anybody who doesn't have health care because they don't have access. We got to give them access. If they don't have access to education, we got to give them access. But for those of us who have access, the question is, are you lacking hunger and passion to do better? And if you are, then that's not anybody's fault. I won't say it. <clears throat> Galatians 6, 7 says this. Is it wrong? Last question. Is it wrong? Two, two last questions. Is it wrong for you to have luxuries while others suffer? Well, Galatians 6, 7 says you, you reap what you sow. You can't blame somebody else because they have what you have. I hear people say all the time, well, uh, how are you going to drive a nice car and people are hungry in the world? Well, I feed them and then I drive my car. But if you're not feeding anybody, I know, I know I, look, hey, hey, come on, I'll meet you out in the high noon. Let's see how many people you feed. I mean, I know our church feeds uh, several, a couple of hundred kids in Africa every, 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 for breakfast every Sunday morning. 
One of our members, Beatrice, bless her heart, she, she was feeding uh, from Uganda. She was feeding her near Kapala. She was feeding uh, her church. They were breakfast. It didn't cost but, but $50. I said, well, let me give you $52. we are going to make it 100 And then they needed, then, then she said, well, you know, there's another church that's struggling. I said, well, let's give them $100. So we ain't spent for $300 a month, $300 a month, and we're feeding 250 people for breakfast. Amen. Come on, church, say amen. Praise God. And, but then I have two children that I've adopted that I'm feeding, and it's just $35 a month. I mean, I'm just saying you, there are things that you can do. You, just because I have a lot doesn't mean that that's wrong. The, the Bible said I would reap what I sow. So you, you can't fault people for having luxuries. That, because here's what, who do you want to work for, a broke person or a blessed person? Why not work for a broke, broke person? Why not work for a broke person? Why not? Because you're going to be broke too. That's right. See, all of you are praying. When next time you go look for a job, look for a broke person to hire you. That's what I want you to do. Find you a broke person. That's not your prayer. You want somebody that's got some money, that has resources, that has hunger, that wants to advance. Why can't you have the same passion for yourself? Nothing wrong with luxuries, as long as luxuries don't have you. Here's the last question. You ready? Greed. Well, how do you know, Pastor, when you become greedy? Greedy. Mm -hmm. When does your desire for more become greed? Here's the answer. When your desire for wealth becomes harmful, lust-filled, and drowning, you've crossed over into greed. 1 Timothy 6 and 9, paraphrased. So if you, if you become excessive, then obviously that's bad. If it's, if it's lust-filled, if it's harmful to people, then that's wrong. But as long as it's not, it's all good. I'm done. Praise God. Questions you got to ask me? I think we got a few. Did you learn something so far? Amen. All right. Come on. We got questions. <clears throat> what would you like to ask the pastor? Things you'd like to ask the preacher? Fire away. Anybody got questions about poverty or prosperity? Raise your hands, please. We got one. We got two. All right. Let's start with these one or two. And we got three. Okay. Uh, come on, guys. Run fast. I know you're in shape. All of you look healthy to me. All right. You first. Go ahead. Since you got the mic first. Do you think that um, one of the reasons that people are in the situation they're in is um, in our automatic society, people are just not willing to have delayed gratification. They want it now instead of saying, you know, I want this here or there. They want it right then, and then they drown. I think they don't work the pieces. You know, you, you, you work the pieces. Our church is 41 years old. There's certain things you should have at 41, and there's some things you shouldn't have at 41. You have to learn how to, to get what you can get at 41 and wait. 51, we'll get something else. But sometimes people want everything right now, and that's, that's right. That's why they end up in they – over, they overextend themselves. Uh, they want to retire too early in life, I think. Uh, I don't know why you can't keep going if you're healthy and strong. I'm not against retirement. It's fine. But I think you need to – when you retire, refire and keep moving in, in life. So, uh, so, you know – you may not have gotten everything you want in the first job, but you can get in the second job. So the answer is you're right. Some people need to delay the gratification. Somebody else? Where's the, where are the mics? Yes, sir. Uh, so in the mix of uh, everything we talked about you know, so far, everything we talked about so far in, uh, in conjunction with uh, Loop 16, has always been a, a chapter of Parable of the Shrew Manager. So can you give your thoughts on some of the jarring things? I know for me, like uh, when, he said, when uh, the word says uh, he commended it, the manager for shrewd dealings uh, in that Luke 16 parable of the, of the shrewd manager. Uh, can you talk a little bit about how we can apply this 
in conjunction with all of this data that you just provided? So say it again. Uh, Luke 16 is the parable of what? What's the parable done? True manager. Okay. Describe, uh, describe the parable a little bit. Uh, well, when, um, when God finds that his manager has been doing unjust dealings. The unjust he, manager. Okay. Yeah, unjust. Okay. okay. And he actually commended him. It says in the word. It said he commended him. That's right. Okay. For so that. your question is, that chapter, Luke 16, is one of the most interesting places where basically he's commending him for obeying the rules of his kingdom. In other words, in his, in his world, this guy goes out, he's not just, but he's doing what unjust people do faithfully. In the same chapter, he basically says the people in the kingdom don't obey their rules. So bad people do what bad people do well. Good people don't do what they should be doing. And oftentimes the bad people have good results in their world. We don't have the results we would have. If we were as diligently obeying God the way they diligently disobey God, we'd have better results. You with me? So the children of the kingdom uh, oftentimes can learn from the ungodly. Here's what I say. If I'm going to be saved, I'm going to be saved full time and go first class. I'm not riding in coach. And if I was a sinner, I'd be a sinner full time and I wouldn't go coach. That's what that's about. And the unjust steward in that chapter is commended for being faithful to his evil principles. He, he, he manipulated the system. He went and told everybody, hey, man, I'm going to be fired. Hey, man, you know, <laughs> you know he, I'm about to lose my job. Help me out. So my point is there is a there's a principle about faithfulness to what you believe. That's basically what that believes. So I, I think you got to be faithful to what you know and what you believe. Hope that helps. Somebody else, where are we at? Yes. Um, can we relate some of this back to politics? Because oh boy. If, you, if you don't vote, you get what you get. Some people up there, when they could give people jobs, like building infrastructure like President Obama did, but because they were so busy trying to keep him from being president again, they wouldn't vote for infrastructure. And infrastructure would have gave people more jobs. So by not voting... So your question is, can I relate some of this to politics? You're right. That's a good way to slide that in. I like the way you did that. <laughs> you just slid that on in there, girl. You were good. I like that. <laughs> um, yeah, you could. I mean, you could relate all I just said. You know, the income averages, the struggles people have, poor people, uh, why some people have, you know, so much and why the others don't. Um, and I think the issue of being available, it's not, a, that's what I said earlier, if it's not available to people, it's, it, it creates this, 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 uh, this challenge. And so the answer is yes, you could. I'll, I'll, I'll just say it that way. All right. I think we got some internet questions. Is that all in-house? Okay. What's your question? Pastor from the internet, you often comment how families should come together and help other family members when they're in financial need. What about those who don't have parents and who have family by blood but don't live as a bonded family? I'm well educated, but there have been several times where I could use some help, but there's no family to help. Please, please provide suggestions related to when you say families should come together and help in times of financial struggle. Yeah, like, well, I just said, if, you don't have, if it's not available for you, if that's not part of your availability, you don't have people to do that, then you've got to make it work what you have. You, you, can't, you can't go around worrying about what maybe Christina might have because she's got me and Diane and she's got a whole infrastructure that's different. Uh, I mean, my mother didn't have that. I mean... There are times in our lives where 
Uh, I didn't have that like that. My mother didn't have the resources that I would have to help my kids. She helped me the best she could, but she didn't have all that. So you use what you have. And in my opinion, those are the moments that make you more diligent and more disciplined about saving and more diligent. You learn. I don't have anybody to turn to. I better pay attention and not buy this car. I need not buy that car. I need to buy this car so I can, you know, not, I can put gas in it. And I don't, need, I don't need to build this house. I need to build this house. You understand? And you start making better choices. And down the road, defer it a little bit before you know it. One day you sell that house, make a profit, and now you can get the bigger house you want to. But you learn how to defer the, the you know, the uh, pleasure. What do I call it? Deferred gratification for later. So that's my answer to that. And where are we at? Over here. Yes, sir. What's your question? Um, the qu I guess it's on. The question yes, I have is. Um, the slides you show with the data that was presenting about the medium incomes, um, being in the workforce was very good. But I wonder, can you speak to uh, other ways that people can be prosperous outside of working on a, a job, um, dealing with ergo investments or managing um, uh, their, their uh, budget better? Can you speak to some of that? Well, I, 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 I think in, in the whole part about management, when I, when I got to, went through the list of reasons why some people struggle, because they don't manage well and because they don't have knowledge. And so all that speaks to that, I think. Uh, I, I personally believe that if you have less debt and you make $1,000 that you can save, you know, if you only owe $300 out of it, you have $700 to, to spend other places. So I've learned that by reducing my debt, I have more cash to save. And so I, that, that's one way to increase your income, lower your debt. But for most people, my, my issue is hunger. More than anything else, we accept where we are. We don't dream. We don't try. We, we just believe this is it. I can't do any better, and I don't believe that's true. I think you can. So thank you, my friend. Somebody else. Where are we at? Right. Pastor Rick, yes. I have a question. Sure. What's the healthiest way for a young adult to become an entrepreneur? Uh, hang around people who are already entrepreneurs. Get around people who, who already have a passion and who have balance. Uh, I think that's important. That's why I do this. Part of this is to kind of, this called, the month is called listen. I want you to hear each other. I want to hear you and I want you to hear each other. I want you to hear how people in this room and people who are watching have genuine questions and concerns about their life. And, and, and this could inspire you. This kind of environment can make you want more. Somebody else, where are we at? Yes, sir. I have a question. Sure. I was surprised not to hear the account of the uh, talents, which is uh, very My clear in the Bible. Oh, I you, love that uh, chapter. Would you uh, expound on the talents? Yeah. Matthew, it's Matthew 25. I love the parable of talents. It's one of my favorite, favorite places in the Bible to teach. If I were going to die, that would be my last message. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I love it that much. I, because basically what it says is it's about me investing and making an effort to use what I have. Three guys, and, um, and, and again, it's about sowing, reaping and sowing. You know, two guys invested what they had, and one guy didn't invest. The two guys prospered. The one guy didn't. The one guy who didn't invest complained that he didn't have enough opportunity. Nothing was available to him. He dwelt on what wasn't available in his mind, and he had his own argument in his head, and it, he ended up losing. So I, I think it is one of my favorite places. I just didn't use it today, but, but uh, thanks for bringing it up. And it is a great place to look at, Matthew 25, read the whole chapter. I think the whole chapter is phenomenal, okay? Somebody else? 
have a question for me. Yes. Hold on. They go to Mike. Thank you. Um, when you're being diligent while you're chasing a prosperous future, how do you make sure you don't get so tired to the point you want to give up? I think it's pacing yourself. And then uh, the words we use make Christians nervous, chasing, pursuing, running after. It makes us scared because we think you're going to get greedy. Remember, as long as you're, you're, you're not letting it become your God, you, you want to become a source that God can spend or uh, use to touch the lives of others. You want to help your family and yourself. It's fine. The main thing is about pacing yourself while you're doing that, making sure you're not overdoing it. Um, I, I, love, I love the way this guy said, he said that, Successful people don't always have a things-to-do list because 60% of what's on a things-to-do list you don't do anyway. You put it on a calendar. So you get really specific about what you do. I'm going to do this, this, and this. And you, you, you just pace yourself so that you're not overworked. Most of the people that I've seen fail in business and fail morally, they're all tired. They overdo it. So come up with the small steps you need to take. Um, they, they have a rule called the 80-20 rule. 80% of what you do doesn't pay you, 20% does. Figure out the 20% and do that first. Figure out the things you need to do. Stop being on every committee, every group, every... And people get mad with me sometimes because I won't do everything. But Warren Buffett said this way. He said, he said highly successful people say no most of the time. So just don't say yes all the time. Hope that helps. Pace yourself. Somebody else? Where are we? Now, let me say this real quick. Let me tell you what was hard for me about this today for me. And I'm close with this. Oh, we got one more? Where we at? Yes, one more. Good morning. Sure. <clears throat> I'm new to the state, new to the area. Mm -hmm. And the data that you provided this morning, um, the income, the medium income, um, I'm not sure if you, was that for this region? Because where I'm from, those numbers match us. Here, it's different. It's like half. So how do you gain the access that you mentioned mm -hmm. to get to those numbers? Because at this point, I'm like... Those are national numbers, by the way. That's for the whole United States. Well, I know you yeah. said average, mm -hmm. but I know that even with the age range and mm -hmm. the medium, mm -hmm. they didn't match Savannah. here. Savannah. Savannah, Georgia. So coming from New Jersey, actually making over the age with the median, mm -hmm. to come here and to be at a 20-year-old's income range, how do you gain those, that access that you mentioned to be able to get to those numbers? Well, let me say this. Numbers. There's also a higher cost of living in Jersey. And so a lot of that balances out when you look at what you pay. For example, an apartment in L.A. and an apartment here is a whole different ballgame. You get a whole lot more house here for $200,000 than you do in L.A. You might get you a little closet in L.A. Uh, so... I think you have to weigh it with that in mind. And I think anytime you're struggling with, and this is what gets me to my final point here today, part of what, what I want you to see is how hard it is to talk about this in church. You know, when I finished last night and I left out, I thought, what was that? A little bit. I had a, I had a what was that look on my face. Even though it was great, we had great discussion. Whenever you talk about money in church, there is a silence. Now, I don't know what kind of Holy Ghost service that was today. The Spirit didn't move on me today because he got on some talk about questions about money and people talking about prospering and all that and, and all that stuff. It's, business, it's a business meeting. It's a Holy Ghost. You know. No, it's called an honest discussion 
about what's going on in the lives of people. For some of you, which you come on, amen. It's an honest discussion. And, and here's the deal. What you need prayer for, people need, ask me to pray for their finances, their marriages. They ask me to pray for their children. I'm going to talk about them next week. The four things I'm talking about is the stuff people ask me to talk about. Always relationship is the first thing. And right now, the second thing on your mind is politics. Some of you are so mad you can't hardly breathe. You can't hardly think. You can't hardly think. You can't hardly think. You can't, can't. Your mind, you're just, you're just upset. And you always find a way to get that question in there, too. You slide it in there. And then the third thing is money. The third thing is money. Always, always about money. And so, you know, I'm just a brother trying to help you. And I, I come in here to listen to you. Let you ask me questions online, in person, because I don't want to hide. I want, I want to learn and grow. Now, I've got to end this. I really do. But I have one, I think I got on hold a question. I got to let you ask this, and I got to get out of here now. Where's that one? One last one. Okay. I, I forgot you. Go ahead. Um, with the executive order that uh, Trump did Uh-oh. This see, there we go. <laughs> here we go. See, now I see you jumping on me again. All right. I'm going to answer this, and I'm done. Come on. Throw it out there. Come on. It's, it's going to impact a lot of people's pay. How, what would you suggest people to do? Because they're going to have to fluctuate what they're doing now to when that actually goes into We're going to survive all this. That's what I'm going to tell you. That's my answer. We're going to be fine. God's faithful. God is faithful. Come on, say God is faithful. So I'm, I'm going to say something that's hard for you to hear. I'm going to say something for you that's really hard to hear. But it's fair. I'm going to be fair right about now. Lord, they're going to, they, don't y'all throw no rocks at me. From the way he sees the world, he's trying to help. It may not be what you agree with, but that's the Democrats, from the way they, Republicans, everybody's trying. To, but see, what we're missing in all of this is God. Come on, say, man, we're missing him. He's just a man. I can't fault him for what he don't do right and what he don't get right. You got uncles like that. You got people in your family that get on your nerves. <laughs> and, and, and you get on some of their nerves. So I, I just don't want to camp there. I want to lift my hands and say, God is my source. Come on, God is my source. God is my source. My faith is in him. Father, we thank you for the Q&A today. We thank you for the discussion today. We leave with faith and confidence. This is a tough conversation for us. That's why church folks struggle so much. But the poverty in the world, we can't help with it. We don't have any resources. And if we spend all of our life admiring the wealthy, and we, we just admire them, but we, we're not doing anything. If we spend our life dwelling on what's not available to us, not, not trying to grow in knowledge, not trying to grow in our own passion and hunger. If we don't manage what you've given us, it doesn't matter. We're not going to change anything. So God, help us today. Not spend all our time admiring wealthy people and trying to pull them down. And not spend all of our time feeling sorry for the poor and not helping them. Help us, Lord God, find a way to balance poverty, prosperity. Let us care about everybody. Lift up our nation. $20 trillion in debt. That ain't good. That is not good. 
when we take in 16 trillion a year, we almost a year and a half in jail. This is terrible. We don't spend all we got. We're almost two years. We're in debt. This is not good. This is not your will for us. Help us, Lord God. Get a handle on our life as a people. Help us as a nation. And I pray for every family in here that's in debt. Free them in Jesus' name. I speak prosperity over your people's lives. I speak, Lord God, deliverance from bondage in Jesus' name. And I pray, God, that this would be the beginning of a discussion that would free them and bless them in new ways in Jesus' name. With every hand down, every head bowed. Father, I thank you for touching lives today. I thank you for saving souls today. For people that don't know you today, let this be the beginning of a new life for them. May they say, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. If they've never given their lives to Jesus, may this be the day they do that. And I give you all praise and glory. Everybody say amen.